Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and I are in the studio here, and we're going to discuss the Babylonian captivity of the church. So if you've been following along in our Winging It series on the life and thought of Martin Luther, you know that we're in 1520, a big year for writing for Martin Luther. Um, Last time we did one of the three big treatises that he published in 1520, an open letter to the Christian nobility of the German nature. Uh, nation. And we're going to get to the Babylonian captivity of the church today and next time. Hopefully we will get to the freedom of a Christian. Um, the, the open letter to the nobility of the, of the, of the German people um, was tended to be wide-ranging and also uh, political in certain aspects in the sense of this is how maybe we should uh, arrange certain structures. Um, Not too political, but what he was getting after was saying the Pope has set himself up um, where kind of he has final say, not only in the church, but even encroaching into secular matters. And so he said, here's some walls that the papacy and the church have put around the Pope so that ultimately the game's fixed. Finally, the Pope has final say. The Babylonian captivity is going to be about the sacramental nature of the church and how the sacraments then have um, imprisoned the people, thus the name of the Babylonian captivity, uh, highlighting the idea of uh, uh, the Jews being held captive in Babylon, and how now the church has been in this captivity toward it, because of the papacy, um, not only its um, a structure of authority, but also because of the sacramental system. And then the freedom of the Christian is going to flow nicely out of that, um, and we'll get to that probably next week. So the Babylonian captivity of the church, Wade, what are your initial um, thoughts about it? Yeah, we, we got to touch a little base earlier today about it, and I think we have similar thoughts in general, but maybe just to reiterate, so we are, as Mike said, in 1520, we're in the second of the big three treatises of 1520, Luther is writing other stuff, but this is <clears throat> these are the big three that really set the trajectory for the future of the Reformation and are marked as being especially impactful, um, somewhat for their content, uh, somewhat for their the tone they take this early on. Luther has been pushed to reexamine things by his trial before Cajetan and then uh, the debate with Eck in Leipzig. And so... We saw in Christian freedom, uh, he had begun by, or in, uh, to the Christian nobility, he had become by, uh, started by saying the time to speak has come, and he is going to begin in Babylonian captivity, uh, in Luther's works, American edition, page 11, whether I wish it or not, I am compelled to become more learned every day, with so many and such able masters eagerly driving me on and making me work. And so we see this continuation of Luther feels this compulsion, this prophetic call, um, to write and to take his stand. He becomes more and more aware of the trajectory uh, that seems to be underway of a break with Rome, um, which will be Rome breaking with him, really. And, uh, and so in the, to the German nobility of the Christian nation, as Mike mentioned, he had talked about these three walls that the papacy had built around itself. He's appealing to the Christian nobility as lay Christians, right? Um, to work for the reform of the church um, in certain ways as a note bishop, as an emergency bishop, 
um, for the, for good pastoral care for people in word and sacrament. And so with the Babylonian captivity, um, the title is, is playing on, as Mike mentioned, the Babylonian captivity of the Israelite people. Um, but then also with the Avignon papacy, which we talked about it in a winging session in the church history series, um, when the papacy was taken to France. So this is a packed uh, phrase or term that he's using for the title of this work. And Mike, you said it well. Um, he's taking aim at the sacramental system of the Roman Church. So he's not throwing out all the sacraments, but he's saying even the sacraments he will affirm have been abused in the Roman Church under the papacy. Um, and so he's going to address those abuses. And so there'll be three that he says these are sacraments. And then there will be four that he says these aren't bad things necessarily. They're they're good things but they're not sacraments. And so some reasons I think this will be an important writing is this is kind of the beginnings of how Lutherans will talk about the sacraments and how we define a sacrament. Um, Lutherans tend to define it in a rather specific way. So different churches will number the sacraments differently, and the Lutheran church tends to speak of two or three. Um, On the flip side, this differentiates Luther from what will become probably, I would say for the most part, popular or normal American Protestantism, which doesn't talk of sacraments, but ordinances, laws that people keep, things that people do to keep a law. And he sees that as being an old covenant way of looking at things. So he's going to speak to the importance of the sacraments, of the centrality of the sacraments because of what they do, um, because of what faith receives. And I would say faith then becomes an important point because he's going to point out that these benefits, these, the benefits of the sacraments are only properly received through faith. And so the Roman sacramental system had kind of emphasized the proper working of the work. You do the work and it's done. Um, but that the Lord's Supper and baptism and absolution only truly benefit me through God's gift of faith, which receives these benefits. And so we see really the beginnings here of promissio language, of promise, um, Oswald Bayer, unpacks, for instance, the the German theologian um, who's done a lot with Haman, uh, but he unpacks the importance of promise in Luther's theology. And a promise is only properly received in one way, and that's through faith. I either believe your promise or I don't believe your promise. And he sees um, promise as being central to the sacraments, and so the word is central to the sacraments. And then finally, Christian liberty or Christian freedom will be very important in here, that Christians need to be on guard that ceremonies, um, even if they're ceremonies that are spoken of in the New Testament, are not foisted upon, foisted upon them in a way that is contrary um, to the word and to promise and faith, um, and that is made additional or necessary for salvation in a way that they are not. So baptism is certainly necessary for salvation. We can talk about that in another episode, but it's not... Um, the work of baptism that's necessary, right? It's not like I cross this off my list, I go get baptized. Um, but it's the gift of baptism. It's what baptism does. And so it's, I would say finally, um, one of the things I found, especially uh, as I reread it, um, to be key to Luther's thought is the Christian life as baptismal, that baptism becomes definitional for the Christian life it's not merely the wiping of our slate clean and now we keep it clean, but it's a daily dying and rising. And he says that it's not just the forgiveness of sins. It's especially death and resurrection, that it's a daily dying and rising. 
it's not a work performed once and then in our past, um, but it is an ongoing reality uh, for the Christian. So that would be um, the things that came to mind for me, Mike, and maybe I can let you unpack any of that or add whatever you see fit. Sure. Uh, maybe we should talk about just what do we mean by a sacramental system here. Um, it's not necessarily a, a bad thing to think about, hey, there is, there's something that happens at birth. There's something that happens a little bit later, confirmation. There's something that happens throughout the life, confession and absolution, or they would call maybe penance. And then Holy Communion as well. And there's something that happens a little bit um, later in life with uh, marriage. And then there's something that happens happens at the end, extreme unction or last rites. And then there's a separate, separate thing called ordination that allows all of this to happen. Um, maybe that's not the best language, but, uh, there's nothing wrong with, uh, being a pastor and saying there's certain things and maybe even certain rites within the church where I have a deep connection with my people. Like they're connected to the church. They're tethered to the church. The problem becomes when it becomes, as you said, an ordinance or that it is a checkmark thing. It's the work being done and it has no connection to promise or faith. And so the sacramental system in Luther's mind became a prison because you weren't tethered to the church through a promise. Like we don't want you to stray like I'm being a shepherd, a pastor here, but you're tethered there as in you, you, you don't have freedom. Like you can't go too far because then you have to go do this. You have to, you have these planks is the language often used. There's these steps or um, like you said, baptism gives us a clean slate. Now, you know, now I'm in this situation where hopefully I don't sin anymore, but when I do, then I have to go get forgiveness. It's the opposite of promise. It's obligation. And that can become a prison. And so you can see that Luther is definitely, <laughs> it's going to flow into the, the third major treatise of 1520, the freedom of a Christian. How is this going to be then played out um, in the Christian life? Um, and so uh, the sacramental system became, um, well, I don't know if he, if he makes this very clear, but you almost want to think about it. It's like a ceremonial law in the sense that this, you have to do this, and this kind of regulates your life. And it's law language instead of promise language. Um, and so then he's going to go through all of the seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church, and he's going to say, this is where Holy Communion is, is messed up, or this is where baptism is pretty good, but there's, a, there's, there's one big flaw here. Here is where uh, we have been robbed of the comfort of absolution by making it uh, a thing uh, called penance that has a has an added satisfaction to it, and then he's going to go through uh, the four that, uh, generally speaking, most all uh, Lutherans and Protestants would would agree are rejected as sacraments, um, and he's going to say marriage is fine, uh, that's great, and uh, but it's it, it can be misused in the monastic system where it's 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 uh, not thought of correctly in the monastic system and in the church right now with celibacy, certainly not a sacrament, um, and then through ordination, last rites, and confirmation. And I think here it's helpful if we maybe talk about how Luther is going to define a sacrament. He is going to argue that the church has no right to institute sacraments um, beyond the time of the New Testament. 
So it's not that the church can now say, we're going to have confirmation and confirmation is a sacrament. Um, but he thinks a sacrament needs to be something that was instituted by Christ in the New Testament. And we'll see this with baptism and the Great Commission. We see this with the Lord's Supper in the upper room. And we see this with absolution, as we talked about in our Easter 2 episode that just came out, if you want to give that a listen, um, where Jesus gives the keys to the apostles after his resurrection, the binding key and the loosing key. So it needs to be instituted by Christ, and it needs to be something which gives the forgiveness of sins. Um, Marriage is not instituted in the New Testament. It is um, given to all humanity at creation. And it does not give the forgiveness of sins, though it gives an abundance of opportunities to forgive sin. Um, Confirmation is a practice that develops early, um, and it has some helpful benefits, and the Lutheran Church has largely retained it, most of the places where the Lutheran Church is uh, existing today. Um, Ordination is something we still do as Lutherans. We ordain pastors, but there's no institution in the New Testament, and there's not a promise of forgiveness. Pastors don't get a forgiveness that lay members don't get by being ordained. Um, And then with last rites, you could say there's a pattern of last rites or extreme unction or the anointing of the sick, as it's called now often in the New Testament, is they do anoint the sick often. But there's no promise of forgiveness. There's not an institution. Um, And so the three sacraments he'll speak of will be the Lord's Supper, Baptism, and Absolution. And that we know later as he continues to talk about sacraments, Another thing that he will emphasize in keeping kind of with how Augustine spoke of these things will be the visible element. So there's a visible element in baptism, which is water, a visible element in the Lord's Supper, which is bread and wine. And then you could argue there's a visible element in absolution, which is a pastor's ugly mug in the case of me, right? Mm-hmm. Or whoever the, the fellow Christian in the case of the mutual consolation of brethren. And that's where he says, okay, maybe absolution in this definition is is would not be accepted, but I think you and I and later confessional language would say, yeah, okay, technically it doesn't have a visual sign, and yet at the same time it kind of does. Right. right, and he says he wants to retain it and retain private absolution, especially because he sees it as very important for pastoral care, for the consolation of troubled souls. Um, and so what he his what he's really doing with the three sacraments he'll discuss then is to reorient them. Rather than than them being us to God, us checking things off of a list for our relationship with God, or the church offering things up um, in order to be uh, reconciled to God or to placate God, he sees these sacraments, and this will come out very clearly in the small catechism and the large catechism later, as being oriented as God, primarily God coming to us. Now, there are horizontal elements in these sacraments as well, um, neighbor to neighbor, there are elements of um, we are remembering Christ, right? A vertical us to God in the Lord's Supper. Um, but primarily this is God coming to us. Um, and this is where he sees as of central importance than faith. Because faith is the gift that God gives us through these sacraments and through the preaching of the word, um, which receives the benefits of them. So this is not just a crossing of the li- off the list or going through the motions or a formalism, as sometimes is spoken of, and the, the Wauwatosa theologians um, rightly um, sometimes pointed out issues with formalism even in the church of their own day. Um, but this is God's word active being received through faith. And so the words of institution for all three of these sacraments become extremely important. 
each of these three sacraments is attached to a sermon. Um, and so the sermon of baptism is, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is a proclamation of a new identity of forgiveness, um, but also of death and resurrection. Um, the sermon for the Lord's Supper is one of the best short, sweet sermons given. My body given for you, my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Um, and then in absolution, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Well, we tend to think of the preaching, the word behind absolution, being I, as a called servant of the word, forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And notice the baptismal connection in relationship to that. Um, but the word becomes very important. So it's not just the action. Um, and that's where he thinks medieval theology had gone off the rails, is the action became more important than the word. They got lost in the ceremony. And ceremony itself is not a bad thing. Um, I like having a baptismal candle lit from the Paschal candle. I like the tradition of a, a christening gown where the child is wearing white to show the forgiveness of sins. I think it's nice when we comport ourselves well at the Lord's Supper in an orderly fashion and we have the symbolism of the gifts being taken from the altar and given to the people. I appreciate that we consecrate the elements. Um, an absolution, I think it's great that we have the sign of the cross spoken when the absolution is given, or that we might assume certain postures as part of the absolution, whether that be kneeling or how we stand or, or, or sit in relationship to the confessor. Um, but the main thing is to hear the word, because it's the word that creates the promise and it's the word that is received, or it's the word that gives the promise, and it's the word that is received through faith. And so, very important. And this is not a fideism. This is not um, Luther teaching faith as the the chief work, as as what earns us something. But this is rather the recognition that God works faith through these things, and then that faith receives the benefits of what those things give. So they create the faith, and they sustain, they preserve the faith. Um, and this will be very important to Luther's theology. Um, talking to you earlier, Mike, I had mentioned, this is a new dynamic that we didn't see a lot of in the Heidelberg Disputation, the Scholastic, um, the Disputation Against Scholastic Theology, um, and other works we've looked at, is you're beginning to see really this talk of promise and faith, which is a very Pauline way to speak. This is Romans, this is Galatians. Um, so we've seen kind of the beginning of sin and grace, we start to see law and gospel. Here we're really starting to see the importance of promise and faith. And at the end of the day, if I'm saved by grace, right, through faith, if, if that's how I'm justified by faith, um, then promise is central because promise is what is either believed or not believed. Um, anything on that, Mike? Yeah, I, I also, just a few comments that I was thinking about when you were speaking. One is I, I do like when he mentions just the connection to Christ, um, who is the Word, right? And that it's not really the hand of the pastor baptizing, but it's Christ, right? And so it's not and really... And he'll point this the, out in the large catechism. Yeah, you you got to see the right hand, which is God's hand. Not really about the action of, of the priest. And so definitely a move away from not just ceremony, but the actions of the priest and saying that's just the avenue of God who's doing this, not in a, not in a bad way, but in, this is how God's, this is God's modus operandi to use physical things, to use the um, ordinary, to do the extraordinary. And so, um, again, the going from promise versus law or ordinance is very significant there. And I think he, it, it, certainly he, he's developed here by 1520, it seems, 
but also just the difference between the theological disputes that he has been in before. He is, um, his pen's freer now, right? And, and so it seems to me he's talking as much about the people or for the sake of the people more than just this is a theological debate, right? And so you can see the word promise more. You can see the word faith, those, those concepts. But also the sacramental system is something that those people would have known, right? I mean, the average person is not really is going to be lost in the Leipzig debate, but they know about extreme unction. They know about all of these things. The other thing I was thinking about is, you know, the Lutheran church is not necessarily throwing out these other things. I mean, we, we highly value ordination and even our confessions kind of flirt with the definition of, of sacrament and say, listen, there's no, there's no set definition of sacrament and we're not going to get we're not going to even, we're not going to argue about this and then they're going to argue about it. But um, if you want to call ordination a sacrament because that then um, delivers preaching, okay, whatever. That's, but that's not what we mean. And certainly they're not against um, anointing the, the sick with, with oil connected with the word of God. And in fact, that's really the history there at its best is a reminder of baptism, right? The Holy Spirit and oil, that you are a child of God even on your deathbed. Certainly marriage is highly valued and that, is, as you said, brings about the opportunity for parents to share the word of God. Confirmation couldn't be more important in the Lutheran church. Um, uh, it's something for, for a church body that is very much about the word of God and, and don't want to have... Um, we don't want to have ritualism overtake. We take something that's not really found in the Bible, confirmation, and make it a very, very important thing. But we connect that with the promises that are taught, right? And so there's a baptismal line that goes through just about everything when you think about it. So, you know, baptism, confession and absolution really is baptism all over again. Uh, Holy Communion, the baptized are the ones who are brought into, they, they who have been adopted in the family of God and given birth are now fed by God. You have uh, marriage and the idea of, a, of family, children, uh, adoption, all of that kind of stuff, um, the taking care of the, the spiritual needs of children in the family based upon marriage. You have ordination, which is to serve the baptized and to literally baptize children. And then uh, last rites, we wouldn't call it that, but let's say visiting the sick and the dying and reminding them of the baptismal promises. I think Luther does a nice job and comparing with the concept of baptism for many in the time where baptism was that, okay, this is your initiation into the church takes care of original sin. It's the first plank. The first plank, and then here's the next plank, to say, no, it's an everyday, it's a baptismal life, and everything gets swallowed up by that baptismal life, um, which is finally just the word of God, and it's a promise. And, uh, you know, we, we, when I teach uh, the sacraments, I, you know, ask the question, how many sacraments are there? And, and uh, I say, I think we said this before, but you know, I can make an argument for one, two, two and a half, three, three and a half, that it's finally Christ is the mystery, the sacrament. It's the word that's most important, and these are the sacramental signs. And so there's one sacrament, and his name is Christ. Um, if you want to be very strict about um, having a visible, visible sign connected to it, then you have two. Um, if you want to... Uh, uh, 
take a look at the promise when those institutions were there and kind of have that confessional language, then you're okay with three. That's why I like two and a half because absolution doesn't necessarily have a visible sign that's very obvious. If you want to go to ordination or marriage and add that to it, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it's worth it. Um, but as our confessions say, you know, if you understand that rightly, that's fine. So the point is it's Christ and his word and his promise and not something that we do. Yeah, and so maybe, um, Mike, like we've done with the others sometimes, if I just read a few quotes mm-hmm. and then give a chance to react as we go through, but we'll keep it from going too long on this one. Uh, maybe one thing before I forget. Uh, in the background of all of this is that he has been called to recant. And, you know, there's this kind of idea, do I recant or do I not? Is there something I can recant? recant? Uh, uh, would I do that? And the answer is no. And so he, he kind of it's kind of almost a play on words like this is my the start of my uh of my uh, uh, recantation is is this this very polemical work that i'm going to give to the church yeah and it's a play on he had called himself Oletherius, the free man and so he's going to say right whose captive is this sacramental system and so we need to be freed from it uh, just briefly a couple things i i noted in here um he says on page 33 what shall we uh, say when Aristotle and the doctrines of men <laughs> are made to be arbiters of such lofty and divine matters? I think there again, you know, Aristotle gets mentioned a lot, and he's not throwing out Aristotle, but you think of transubstantiation and a lot of the logic behind the mm-hmm. doctrines that developed in the medieval church. When it comes to the sacraments, we speak of the sacraments as the Bible speaks of them, and the central thing is God's promise, not a rational working out of every detail in that regard, and that has really influenced the Lutheran church um, in that, it's not that the Lutheran Church has a poorly defined view of the sacraments, but it has consistently refused to define the sacraments beyond what the Bible has. In Aristotle's terms of substance and our essence and accidents, I, my favorite line in there is when he says, uh, why transubstantiation? Why not transaccidentiation? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, skipping ahead to 42, he says, for God does not deal nor has he ever dealt with man otherwise than through a promise, as I have said. And so kind of this Pauline, and if you read the Genesis commentary, I mean, this is this is the Genesis commentary too. The Genesis commentary is God dealing with the patriarchs through his promise. With, and with sometimes with physical signs in a different sense right. of New Testament. But sacraments. not a sign that you should lose the promise in, but a sign that's meant to emphasize the promise. Um Page 57, and this becomes very important to Luther's theology, and you'll see this in his explanation of the first commandment in the large catechism. Uh, He says, For faith alone means peace of conscience, while unbelief means only distress in conscience. So faith as the linchpin for how we first see ourselves in relationship to God, but then also how we relate to others. And in the Long Gospel as a Lens series, we did three episodes on that, um, I brought up some Bonhoeffer that hits on that as well. Um, if we can skip ahead to 72, he says there, I lift my voice simply on behalf of liberty and conscience, and I confidently cry, no law, whether of men or of angels, may rightfully be imposed upon Christians without their consent, for we are free of all laws. And here this is not to say that Luther is um, calling for either a political or spiritual anarchism, but rather he's saying, at our heart and core through faith we are free. And kind of like Paul says to the Colossians in Colossians 1 and 2, 
Don't let anyone now take you back captive, whether through philosophy or elemental spirits or asceticism or traditions. Uh, This is when these laws become problematic. Um, Regarding ordination, he has a nice little passage um, that I thought helps with his view of that. On page 113, he says, From this it follows that whoever does not preach the word, though he was called by the church to do this very thing, is no priest at all, and that the sacrament of ordination can be nothing else than a certain right by which the church chooses its preachers. And Mike, you hit on that already a little bit, and I think that's very important. Luther sees ordination as being the authorization, the sending out of preachers. And what are they to preach? They are to preach Christ. Well, how is that preaching received? It is received through faith. And I think that is something that we can't ever emphasize enough Um, including in our own day, at the end of the day, the chief task of the pastor, of the called pastor, is not how many meetings can we create for him to go to, um, and is not how many programs can he oversee, but the chief task of the the called pastor um, is to be a preacher, and that is something he is to be equipped to do, which is why he said elsewhere um, to the Christian nobility, pick someone who has the gifts to do it. And by that, he doesn't mean that they're the most dynamic speaker or that they have years of rhetorical training, but that they know and understand Christ and they are able to set God's promises before his people. And that, um, you know, I pray that those of us who are pastors, I pray that when we remember our own ordination too, this is not a, a setting apart as a separate class in the church. This is not a tasking with a bunch of administrative functions at its core. This is the church saying, hey, you, you give us Jesus as a living, like as your vocation. Your job is to give us the promise which is received through faith. Um, So those are the passages, Mike, that stood out to me as extremely important. Yeah, just uh, I'll maybe add one and then I'll I'll close it out unless you have something else. Oh, Uh, that's all I have. The idea of these, he kind of, it's almost a side note a little bit when he talks about vows. And so there's an idea, right, that if you took a a vow of celibacy that was kind of better than baptism, the second baptism even, is that correct? Like the the idea that you're going back up, uh, you're, you're, here's plank one, but now you're moving up higher and higher and holier and holier. And uh, I just keep going back to this idea. Why are we making vows? Why are we making promises to God? It just... You know, have we not learned the we lesson of Peter? We messed up the orientation again. Yeah. Have we not let uh, learned the lesson from Peter, the theologian of glory, par excellence, and Holy Week, where he's constantly making promises to God? We want to be stop like Saul. Yeah. yeah, stop it. Uh, uh, God makes promises to you, not the other way. Don't make vows unless you're getting married going into the military on a jury, maybe there's like one other time. Other than that, stop making promises. Or you really didn't color on the walls <laughs> and you want to make sure your mom knows that. That's right. And so there, that idea too, but finally underneath all of that is um, the idea of promise versus ordination. Baptism is not a promise you make to God. It's a promise God made to you. And so he, he I think he, it's a, it's a, it's a very thoughtful, well thought out and planned book, or, or I should say um, uh, treatise, uh, which is 
sometimes rare for Luther, <laughs> but I mean, he's going to go, he's got a, a very um, easy outline to follow. He's going to start with communion, I think, and then go baptism, penance, and then the four that he wants to reject. Um, but underneath and kind of bookend is this idea of, I know that I'm standing up here and I've been called to recant, but instead of, um, instead of a recant, he's going to do a chant. We hope that you'll join us uh, back next week where we hopefully will get into the freedom of a Christian. And uh, if you haven't uh, listened to our series on uh, Luther, uh, his thought in life, you can certainly go back. I don't know what number we're on. We must be in the 20s. Um, we started at the beginning of his life, and now we've made it to 1520. And shortly we'll get to the uh, very exciting year of 1521. And so we hope that you will come back and listen. Until then, let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I set them up, another round. I set them up, another round. I set them up, another round. One more round. Get me down Came home last night all full of lush My babe began to fuss and I said Honey, honey I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk